0: Hi, my name is Jeremy Jensen, and I'm a public school educator in the Denver metro area. I'm on a quest, a quest to learn from as many educators out there as possible about the innovative approaches that are making learning authentic and meaningful. It's a very different world today than when our current education system was established, and I've been incredibly fortunate to have had opportunities to get to know some amazing educators who are working tirelessly to adapt to this new and evolving world. One common thread among these inspiring educators, I've come to find out, is their ability to balance both a passion to make progressive change with a humility and understanding that they don't have all the answers. Hence the name of this podcast, Humble Badass Educators. It's often easy to identify what's not working in our current education system, but it's a lot harder to figure out what changes really are having the most success. I invite you all to join me on this journey to hear about the secret sauce from the educators out there we are positively impacting our landscape. In fact, that's the point of this show, so that these ideas can hopefully be spread far and wide. My guest today is Shalala Dillard, the founder and executive director at SCD Enrichment Program, a nonprofit organization that recruits and supports students of color in accelerated coursework. The SCD program offers a wide array of services to schools and students, including cultural education workshops, professional development, advanced coursework equity audits, summer camps, cultural history courses, and much more. In our conversation, Shalala breaks down some of the historical and current inequities that persist in our educational system and identifies what she thinks are some shifts that our country would need to make in order to combat this. She shares her personal story that follows her experiences from being a gifted and homeless student of color in a systemically racist education system to deciding to take her largest gamble and quitting her job as a teacher to start her own business. It was an absolute delight to have an opportunity to sit down with Shalala to learn from her, and I hope you find her story and insights as inspiring as I do. Shalala Dillard, hello, how are you?
1: Good, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Yeah, it's good to be here in the iterative space today.
1: Yes, I'm really excited to always be here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me about yourself. What makes you a badass and uh where does that intersect with humility?
1: Hmm. Um, well, you know, I'm always one of those people that never really like to I guess like talk about what I've been through. Um and always wanna just like give um, that's just always been me. Um, and so I don't know, a badass. Hmm. <laughs> that's interesting because I guess like humble people don't really refer to themselves as
0: badasses. It's a little oxymoron, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I will claim it because I, I do feel like I am, um, I, I do have a, a niche and the way that I'm moving in, in my program, I'm able to impact like st- students that I never thought I would be able to. So yeah, um, I guess that's why I'm a badass.
0: <laughs> and it's clear that you're humble because you had a hard time... I did. Coming <laughs> to that realization, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, so tell the listeners about your program.
1: Okay, so it's called SCD Enrichment Program. Um, The SCD stands for St. Clair Drake. He was a black intellectual during the Harlem Renaissance, my favorite era. Um, And we just had a lot of synergy when I I was just researching uh, different people um, during the Harlem Renaissance. Um, He went to Hampton University, I went to Hampton University. Um, His grandfather's from Barbados, or no, his dad is from Barbados, and my grandfather is from Guyana and Barbados. Um, And he was a gifted child. And he um, was in all-black all schools and all-white schools um, and just had an interesting time, like, navigating that and just really understanding, like, how he just loved education. I love education. Like, I'm a, su- a super nerd. And he would just, like, go and read all his, like, father's books um, and they're like, nook. <laughs> and uh, he also helped found the African and Africana Studies Department at Stanford University and other universities nationally and I hope to impact students nationally so that's a little bit about the name Um, what my program does is we recruit and support students of color and give to education for middle school and high school students and We do that by teaching an ethnic history course that teaches high level critical thinking skills, um, which you absolutely need when you're talking about ethnic history, you need those critical thinking skills since we don't learn that regularly. And then um, we have a college student of color mentor program. Um, So we have uh, students of color come in and mentor our students and tutor them and help help them navigate getting into college and, and how to study for college and all those like, hands-on things that they actually need when they go to college. And then we have a leadership component where the students take all the things that they learn from our program and then give back to their schools or
0: communities. There's a lot going on in your program.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, how and why did you decide to um, embed all of these different pieces of your program? Like, how did this just come to be?
1: Yeah, so with, especially like with the ethnic history, since I didn't get ethnic history when I was in uh, school, like the only ethnic history course that I took was uh, hi- Hispanic history. And that was like my senior year of <laughs> of high school. Um, and then I went on to go to Hampton University, which is a historically black college. And it was amazing being around um, such highly intelligent, beautiful black people that were from all over the world. and all of our, like, courses, we learned our history, and so, like, in math, you were learning about people that looked like you, and, you know, literature, you have, of course, learned about the, the, the greats, and, um, of course, I took, like, extra sociology courses because I was just so intrigued, and I just realized, like, as I was teaching, um, that that was, like, a piece that was missing in all of Education for students so like i was a science teacher and i would like incorporate in history from you know whatever area that my students were so that they can see themselves in the science that i was teaching them Um, i realized how important that was because i didn't get it and i got it in college and was like my students need this as well so um so that's why i have that piece and then the uh, college students of mentor piece. I needed direction. I had my brother there. He's two years older than me, so he was in college when I went to college. Um, but I was also out of state, and so I didn't like get those connections that I needed to, and also like what steps to take, like during college and after college. Like you need that direction, and I found that like the the schools that I taught at didn't necessarily teach those like concrete skills. Like you need to learn how to study. Lectures. You need to learn how to study from a textbook and you need to learn how to, you know, um, take take exams and, you know, write uh, papers and stuff for, for uh, college. And that's super important. But also, I realized that there was a, uh, a limited amount of teachers of color. And, you know, everyone knows that that is something that our students need, even our non students of color um, they just perform better, but, uh, to, and to see yourself in people that are in your classroom, um, that are in like a semi authoritative, you know, figure that really matters. And so I decided to, um, have students of color because, um, and honestly have it like a cyclical, uh, type of program. So, The students of uh, the college students are helping my middle school, and high school students, but they're also receiving, um, content from my program, like, uh, financial literacy skills there. Um, you know, there's a saying that like, if you, um, if you want to learn something, you teach it and you know, uh, students perform and and understand and retain more information when they uh, know the content and teach it to someone else. And so it's also helping them with their success in college as well. So it was like it was really intentional for me to have college students of color, and then the um, the added piece of having a five hundred dollars stipend for each one of those students a semester um, because you know college students struggle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they just do, and they need that extra money and uh, they need that security. Um, And so yeah, and then uh, my. Like underlining reason for even having the program is like uh, learn your history, learn who you are, and take that knowledge and spread it to your community, spread it to your uh, your school because then that's when we'll shape and change the narrative of um, you know a lot of the stereotypes and uh, negative uh, narratives that we have in our communities and outside of our communities.
0: So much to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> um, one question that I have just off the bat after this, one of the more recent things you just said here is why is there a lack of people of color, people that look like a lot of our students right now out there? Like, how did that come to be?
1: I think that's twofold. I think the the first thing is that, um, you know, there's that narrative like, oh, teachers don't make money. And I need to support my family. Like, it's a community thing. It's not just like a, um, and and this may not be for everyone, but for a lot of people that I know, it's like when you get a a job right out of college, you're not just supporting yourself. You may just, you may also be supporting your family. You may be supporting, um, you know, your, your mother or your father or whoever. And, and so you need that extra income and teaching salaries. Just don't cut it, especially like, you know, um. Honestly, that's why I didn't move back to Colorado to teach. I moved to Texas to teach because they had a higher salary (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and a lower cost of living. So, Mm -hmm. you know, me even just having that, like, bit of an information is, you know, interesting because a lot of college students that are just coming out of college don't have that information either. Like, hmm, where am I going to live? How much cost of living is that going to be? What's my salary going to be? Am I going to be able to be, you know, sustainable? Those type of things um, is what I thought about, but it has a lot to do with my background (laughs) as to why I thought about that too. So, um, and then the other thing is that uh, there are uh, teachers of color that do enter the the workforce of teaching um, and they are not treated properly (laughs) when they go to these schools. And they know their worth and they know their value, and they um they wind up leaving their profession um I am one of those people um I know dozens of people that left the teaching profession because they didn't feel like they were heard or recognized or they felt like they were like blackballed or something because of you know standing up for something that they saw was just like not okay <laughs> you know um it's it's like those instances but Really, it's just because of like the income piece.
0: Can you say more about this sort of inequity of like not being heard both as a student when you were because you grew up in Colorado? Yes. Um, and you were taking some advanced coursework mm-hmm. um, in Colorado and then you became a teacher both in Texas and then eventually in Colorado as well. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? How, why and how did you feel like there were ine- inequities like your voice was not being heard in the same way?
1: Ooh, that's a lot okay so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could start with me um, so from first grade all the way to the 12th grade I was in advanced coursework um, and I was typically the only black person in those programs or like black female um in, in those po- programs and so uh, I absolutely never felt heard because uh, for, for a ton of reasons like way more than we can we have time for but really because um, I I felt like I had to assimilate to go under the radar so that I wouldn't get a lot of the like stereotypical questions or like the black questions or be like the black dish dictionary for everyone because um, they didn't have experience with black people Um, or yeah, all those like different types of things. And so I can now say that I assimilated. I didn't feel like I did when I was in high school because I loved, I loved the history that I knew about my people. But, um, at the same time, I know that I did now because I never spoke up when I heard, um, you know, negative comments or like discriminatory comments. Um, or when teachers would treat me differently than the other white students in my class. Um, I, will never forget my trigonometry, trigonometry teacher. Um, he, uh, he didn't, I had two strikes against me, three. I was a female, I was a cheerleader, and I was black. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He did not like athletes, um, at all. And... Um, I stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, in my class and, um, I didn't understand the content. I didn't feel like I could raise my hand because when I did, I was, I got ignored because he just didn't want to deal with me at all. Um, and you know, uh, there was like one instance where he literally in the middle of class was just like, you're digging yourself in a hole. You gotta do better, you know, in front of like all of my peers. And, you know, in in advanced courses, like, it's super competitive, like, academically competitive. Like, oh, what'd you get on that? Oh, I got an A. Oh, I got an A+. Like, Mm -hmm. that is, like, the, the, yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, that's what happens. And so, for that to have happened, like, in the middle of my class, it was devastating to me. Um, And I wind up actually transferring out of that class and just took, like, a business, like, Mm -hmm. math class um, just to graduate. Because I was just like, I can't. but it's, like, instances like those where, you know, um, I would try to speak up for myself or I would try to advocate for myself and was just, like, constantly ignored. Um, and then as far as, like, teaching is concerned, um, just uh, my way of teaching was a little different because um, I, I'm i an empath, so there you go, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I really, like... Wanted to not just impact my students academically, but like in their life. Um And like, I just saw a, one of my students actually that was in my program that I didn't even teach. But um that was in my program. I just saw her a couple of weeks ago and she was so excited to see me and gave me like three hugs, even though COVID is happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was just like I could tell like I I shaped and changed her life. And that was how I was when I was a teacher. And so um I I can honestly say right now that I probably wasn't, like, the A-plus teacher. I probably was, like, a B teacher, you know, if we wanted to grade myself um, as far as, like, the academics is concerned. But I was an A-plus teacher when it came to, like, impacting my students' lives. And that didn't fly with schools who were, like, innovative schools and needed, you know, those higher numbers, like, um, to make their school look good you know it it wasn't about like impacting the students it was about um what you can do for me it was like consumer based (laughs) but it was education you know and and so yeah um definitely didn't like feel like my voice was recognized when I was trying to like rationale to them like hey this also is really important too like yeah I am increasing your numbers but maybe not as much as you want But I am impacting these students' lives, and they will walk away with this, like knowing that uh, they can do anything they want. And that's way more important to me.
0: How and why did we get there? Like, why and how is our educational system set up so (laughs) that... (laughs) I know, this is a big question, and I'm sorry. (laughs) No, very large. But um, just from your perspective, um, how and why?
1: Well... I think I said this uh, analogy to you, like when I first met you. But it, it's like you. So the educational system, especially for you know Black Indigenous people of color, um, BIPOC students, it wasn't designed for us in the first place. So I don't understand why we think that it's going to work for us when the the the, the foundation <laughs> was not even you know including us in it. Um, so I, I said this analogy, like it's like a car that went to the manufacturer and was like, they did not create the car correctly at all, but they're going around to like different mechanics, like, oh, hey, can you fix this? Oh, nope, can't fix it? Okay, can you fix this? Oh, wait, no, this is gonna be a great technique. I know you can fix it. <laughs> and it's like, uh, no, the car only has like uh, enough room for three tires in an the axle. Of course it's not gonna work. <laughs> And and really, that that's the problem with the educational system is that it never included um, who we are as a whole, like our, our the holistic um, view of Black students, of Indigenous students, of uh, students of color. Like it didn't include us in that in the blueprints. So why are we thinking this is gonna work? So I'm actually excited for COVID because um, you know schools are having to be super innovative and having to like restructure things and i'm hoping that they just like really just like tear it all apart (laughs) and then bring it all back together and have the entire like nation in mind um because that wasn't actually a a thing when the school structure was founded here
0: (laughs) so let's pretend that happens let's pretend like things get torn apart and we rebuild what do we do differently? How do we rebuild it so that it is an equitable structure?
1: So, okay, let me go a little bit deeper into that. So the structure that we have now is very Eurocentric, very, um, very, uh, it it doesn't have like community in mind. Like most people of color, um, pre-colonization, I will say. (laughs) Pre-colonization, we were community-based people. We were communal. So we did everything together we learned from the community we learned from the elders we learned from the young folk we learned from you know um, we we got our knowledge from around us and that was super important and valuable um, and uh, so that's just like the 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 mode of how you can learn right that's not how our 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 educational system is structured it's very individualistic very eurocentric like um and, and it's it's built. To create what it what it is built to create, you know, um, and um, and that's why it's just not working. And so, what we can do to make it that way is not have the class structures as like um, I don't I don't know like some people are doing like learning circles and things like that, and that's a little better but even like not be as structured, but still have like high level con excuse me, high level content and um, be able to impact the students with having a holistic um, view in mind. So looking at that entire child. And I I believe that there's a lot of like SEL and you know, great innovative things that are coming out that are keeping the, the other part of the child in mind, like the, you know, emotional, social part. However, the cultural part, the racial part is completely missing and our students are c- clocking out. They don't see themselves. Why would I give full effort? I do not see myself in my in, in education. When I come into this school, um, and and the whole like oh let's do a civil rights unit or let's do let's learn about Rosa Parks
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. about for history month type of thing yeah
1: yeah um, that that thing is not working it needs to be completely embedded into our um, our structure to where the students see themselves and that benefits white students as well because then they won't have those implicit biases you know that they have going out into the work work world because they never learned why immigration happened they never ner- learned why africa was the target zone to take these brilliant people from their homel- ha- homeland they don't know any of that stuff they just know like the end effect
0: do you feel like this implicit bias bias that people have is sort of the reason why our society is working as it is and where the biggest inequities actually lie in our entire system
1: yeah definitely systemic racism systemic oppression um and, and some is very very intentional and some is not mm-hmm. um, but you even have. I don't remember what decade this was, but it was in California when they banned ethnic history or, uh, yeah. Ethnic history courses for like high school. And this was just like recent, maybe in the eighties or Mm nineties. Now they have them to where they can do it. But, uh, just even that, like, why, why is it so illegal to learn about other people? (laughs) Why, (laughs) you know, um, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me because the the more you know the more you know who you are if you know other people around you you're able to um to know yourself better and so it's not just students of color who are struggling because they don't know themselves it's white students who are struggling because they don't know themselves because the other people around them don't know themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like a you know domino effect um and they would have a lot more love and appreciation, right, for other people. Um, and and know, and I teach my students this in my program, it is okay to be different. We need to celebrate our differences. Like the whole um, uh, colorblind perspective that is very, very flawed for very many reasons is not okay because you're you're devaluing those people. Like I want to be known as a black person. I'm proud of that. I want you to... Um, allow me to celebrate my culture and not think that it is offensive to you or um, an offense to you that I that I am celebrating my culture you should be celebrating my culture too (laughs) you know Um, so I, I definitely think yes definitely systemic oppression systemic racism has affected um, I mean, we can even get into the, like, whole redlining situation and civil rights. We can get into all that, too.
0: Let's <laughs> do to it. Yeah, I <laughs> mean,
1: um, so, like, with the redlining, you know, um, pre-civil uh, rights, it was, like, black black um, schools, white schools. So the, the, the reason why, like, the civil rights movement wanted to... Um, desegregate and to bring those schools together is, is because the, the lack of funding for black schools, like the, the, the government wasn't giving a lot, a lot of funding. And so their content was like 30, 40 years prior, like they were learning content that wasn't like accurate and wasn't, um, it, it wasn't higher content at all. And so the, their great idea was like, oh, well, we'll just put the the black students in the white schools. And then that will, <laughs> instead of actually like giving the funding to the to the black schools, like if they would have done that, they we would have need to integrate it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have integrated, we should have because, you know, we shouldn't be separate like that, but, um, and, and then you get into like, that's where the redlining comes from. I don't want my white child to go to school to this, with this, like these black children, no. So I'm going to go into the suburbs and we're going to have our own communities. And how dare you try to move in? No, I tr- I just tried to get away from you. <laughs> like, why would I want? No, I don't want to do that, you know. And so um, that's, of course, one of the many reasons why redlining affected um, education. But I would say that redlining had the most effect on education than any other housing. Yes, that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but education had the biggest effect because of redlining.
0: Do you see improvements in this? Do you see us taking the steps in the right direction? I know that you said that there's hope with this COVID situation of blowing <laughs> things up yeah. and reassembling. But like, are you seeing anything that um, you can, I guess, name as positives right now?
1: Well, um, I, I've... definitely think because of the recent um you know murders of um Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and um all all the other people who have died because of police brutality that you know people are wanting and willing to have conversations because of the protests and so there's a lot of people who uh a lot of actually like white parents that are like okay I now see that this is wrong. this is great. I'm not mad at them that it took them this long at least they're learning. you know, <laughs> at least they're re- realizing like, wow, this is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there's like been a surge of, of people who are like, I need to learn about this because I had no idea. And I think that's huge. Um, I think that's a, a, a step in the right direction. I don't think that is going to help. Um, completely, but I think it, it is improving in that regard. That there are a lot more people who are seeing the reality and the truth of our nation mm-hmm. um, instead of what was like fed to us. Um, so,
0: so you don't think that's gonna solve things, though? No. Wh- what will it take to solve things? Like, what really needs to happen?
1: I don't know because that that answer would be like, how do I end racism? Absolutely, <laughs> and I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I, I do know that when we are all educated, um, I think that's why I uh, continue to stay into education and continue to educate myself. Is I feel I truly feel like education is the answer for a lot of things that we're going through, and so if I'm able to teach you know, third grade white students about like the empires of Africa, that's going to shape their way of thinking of Africa and it's going to shape their way of them thinking of people that, um, were enslaved from Africa, you know? Um, and so I I definitely think education is a key component within that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, um, I had a discussion with like a funder and, you know, I was telling them that education is, Uh, social justice work and it's a huge part of it when people think of social justice they just think of like protesting right but no we need to teach the masses that was the problem no one wanted to have conversations after civil rights no one wanted to you know people wanted to just brush under the rug um you know concentration camps for japanese (laughs) you know that That was a thing that no one really wanted to, like, yeah, we know about it, but they're all right. Like, that didn't cause trauma.
0: Because it's uncomfortable for them or because, like, facing this is going to impact you in a negative way?
1: I I think because, you know, we, I love being an American, I'm going to just say that right now, but we are very cocky and we think that we are the greatest and that we have made no mistakes ever in history and we have made dire and significant and huge mistakes um and and when you crack open a U.S. history book in any grade you're not going to see like oh you know what we failed in that regard we made a mistake there (laughs) like and so what does that teach like it teaches like we are perfect so how dare you say that that happened you know it it goes against like everything that was taught to us so of course you know we're going to have like a disconnect and we're going to have people Say it's like a political thing. It's not a political thing. It is education needs to be required, but all education. Don't just leave out the parts that make you look good. It's very narcissistic. <laughs> you
0: know? 100%. So you would make sure that the things that are being learned are the right things. Like Absolutely. That's, that's the things that you would like say our system needs to improve in most. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I can say that one little thing out of like probably 8 million can help end racism. (laughs) It's through education. Yeah, for sure.
0: You shared with me that you went through a few years where you were living homeless Mm -hmm. and that significantly impacted your sort of like take on life and your empathy. Can you share a little bit about how that changed who you were and your trajectory, I guess?
1: Yes. So, um, a little bit of a background. My grandparents moved here from Shreveport, Louisiana, I think in like the 1930s or 40s. Um, Denver used to be called the Harlem Renaissance of the West because we had such a thriving Black-owned business, you know, uh, community here uh, on the East Side specifically, um, where like Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington and and you know all the jazz greats and all the you know actors and performers. I uh, used to come and, you know, chill at the uh, on Five Points and just, just have like a, an amazing um, area where we gave back to the community and we were in a community and we loved on each other and it was so great. Um, so that's one of the reasons why my um, grandparents moved here to get away from the racism that Louisiana had um, and come here to make a better life. And so my grandfather did. He wound up actually buying uh, two houses um, in the last house that he bought. My mother and uncles were raised in and grew up in. And then um, when my grandparents passed away, they left the house to my mom. And so we grew up in there. So um, I grew up, I wouldn't, I would say like middle class for a black family in on the east side. So I didn't really know poverty like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until gentrification hit our community um, and they I, I, my mom didn't know all that she needed to know about like the ins and outs on like real estate and we had like some housing problems um, with like pipes and situations that were going on with our house um, and they deemed it unlivable quote unquote <laughs> and and so um, she didn't know that there were like resources to help with that and so, you know, a person coming in, um, I'm not sure who it was like a banker, or whoever was like, well, no, it's going to be way too expensive. Like you could just sell the house. <laughs> so she did, instead of like realizing this was generational wealth, you know, um, this was, this is three generations that could have impacted, been impacted from that. Especially that house was like 30 or 40,000 when my grandfather bought it, you know? And um it sold a couple of years ago for a half a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so from there we, you know, jumped from place to place. Um I said over sixty different places, but my brother argues it was like a hundred. I don't I don't believe that. I think it was like sixty. <laughs> That's still a lot of places that we moved. It was like uh people's houses or hotels or um You know we would have we would have like a house at one point and then we would lose it um so yeah it just was like super really unstable and at the same time I was in advanced coursework you know so like having to complete my homework before the sun went down when we lived in a car (laughs) you know um I, I and I and I tell this story to every single uh school year I tell it in the very beginning I tell them I tell them this story because they need to know what um not giving up looks like and I definitely am that I'm I'm definitely the picture of not giving up Mm -hmm. you know despite circumstances I was able to go on and get a full scholarship from the Daniels fund to go to Hampton and that really was such a great blessing for me because it literally Got me out of poverty. It literally got me out of homelessness (laughs) Because we were actually still at that point. We were living with like my godparents Um, So still didn't actually have like a residence Um, So when I packed up my bags for Hampton, I Literally packed up everything that I owned to go to my dorm Mm -hmm. Um, and I I kind of struggled, even though I was in advanced courses. Like just, I think the the trauma that I experienced as like a you know person who was homeless really just impacted me, and I just like had to unpack a lot of that. Being by myself, not knowing anyone in Virginia, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and I I really struggled academically for a while until i was like this is it like i can't go back home and depend on anyone to get me out of this like financially at all so i have to do well in college so that i can get a salary job so that i can be stable um and i and i again tell my students that because um you know of course of all the excuses that you hear right as a teacher (laughs) well, um, I couldn't do it because of this or that. And I'm like, ah, no, because I did it like this. I'm not saying that you have to be me. Right. But I'm saying that it is completely possible. And you have to, you know, dig, dig down, dig deep down into yourself and really, uh, come up with that self-efficacy. That's like self-motivation to succeed
0: you must have really inspired a lot of people through your personal story mm-hmm. to achieve things that maybe they didn't think before were possible.
1: Yeah. I have like a uh, little daughters and sons <laughs> from when I first uh, would teach and I'm still friends with them and um, they still like check in with me and they have told me like how much I've impacted them. I even um, had uh, two students who no one knew that they were homeless and because I came out and told them my story, they were they confided in me and then we were able to get them services, you know. And so it's like little things like that that it was like that was impactful for me. Yes, teaching them is super important, especially like high-level content. Absolutely important, but to impact these students like for the rest of their lives, that means way more to me than anything.
0: Do you have suggestions for people out there in general to become as culturally responsive in their teaching as possible?
1: I would say, so like in my career of schooling, (laughs) you Mm. know, I actually didn't really have a lot of teachers of color, but I had teachers that really impacted me and influenced my life. And, um, those were white teachers that had super high expectations for me and that didn't treat me differently then um then they would have treated their own child right like treat your students like if you had a child and you set really high expectations for that child like that I I felt that from several students or several teachers that I had um and that's really the first thing like don't oh poor shalila because she was homeless now i gotta coddle her Mm -hmm. and and the instruction that i provide for her like no it actually needs to you need to set the bar as high as like humanly possible for these students because they have and these these kids are super smart they know they know when teachers set really low expectations for them and they will follow suit oh i don't have to do very much okay (laughs) i'm not going to do very much you know um, and you know, that, that would be like the number one thing for me. And then of course, like implementing an ethnic history on your own. Yes, that means a couple of more hours a, a week that you have to go and, you know, research content, but there's a ton out there now because people are really being more cognizant of like, okay, I do need to include, you know, um, Marshallese history or, um, I don't know, vietnamese history or you know the the various uh ethnicities that they have in their class they're familiar with that and so there's a ton of like information online that you can research to implement that into your instruction i think those just those two things if you only did two things if you set extremely high expectations for each student you all you gave okay three you gave yeah. <laughs> uh you centered your instruction around high critical thinking skills mm-hmm. and then um in, incorporating in if you teach math i need to see different strategies like there was out um, my very, very first year of teaching i was a math teacher um. I was a resource special education teacher and I had one of my students was like, miss, let me show you this. And he taught me some type of like way to do math, but, and he was like, my dad taught me, and this is how they, he was taught when he was in Mexico. And I was like, that's genius. Like I need to teach my students in that way. Just even like having, an ear to your students, like listening to, if they have uh, different strategies that they can teach you. Because if I would have just been like, whatever, I'm just teaching you this way, I would have never realized that like, hey, my students who um, come from Mexico and their, their parents knew this, they can actually help their child now with their homework. Because if I, if I structure my curriculum to look more like this, then wow, they're gonna get more help at home. Like, just even those types of things, like that, or like how I implemented, um, like different inventors or, um, uh, like highlighted different like inventions of people of color in science, like that is absolutely doable, too. Like, you know, hidden figures, like that was a huge thing, you know, um, just and, and that's just like recent civil rights. But, like, if we if you go back to how uh, Africans were able to um, burn and ignite iron at a higher temperature than the Europeans did uh, during the middle, uh, or what's it called, the the dark ages, then you can even have a lesson on that, you know? <laughs> um, just incorporating in like information from all areas, that's absolutely gonna help, for sure.
0: Because there's so much out there that we don't know. You know like we highlight the most famous things mm-hmm. and at a surface level, and we don't dig deeper into things that are below the surface.
1: Yeah. And so, when I love that you just said that because when you only dig at a surface level, you're not going to realize how important it is to those people, mm-hmm. to that community, to that ethnicity. You're just going to be like, okay, whatever, civil rights, we do that every month. Like, what, or we do that every, like, February, whatever, get over it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, this was just told to me the other day. Uh, Slavery was 400 years ago why is that still being brought up like you know yeah (laughs) yeah um you know you if you don't dig deeper you won't understand why it was so detrimental we are we have a double consciousness black people because we have to be you know one way at work and another way at home like that that is a lot of mental health <laughs> issues right there it can it can create a lot of mental health issues you know mm-hmm. um if you don't realize like where we came from and who we were before europe touched the continent like that that's in who we are you know um and if if you don't dig below surface level you will never realize how much trauma just the average not even like me going through homelessness right just the average um person from Honduras is going through if you don't realize like why they're actually trying to immigrate to America Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that and how America had something to do with it (laughs) you know you're not going to realize that until you actually dig a little bit deeper
0: and it gives you such a different context for, for life and for things and the way things are. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate you recommended the book, The Deconstruction of Black Civilization yeah. uh, by Chancellor Williams, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell the listeners about that a little bit and why that's so important.
1: Um, So I stole that book from my brother because <laughs> he was an African American um, history major at uh, CU Denver. And he had a just like a wall of just books on, like, African history, on African American history. So, you know, when I started this program and I knew that I was going to do ethnic history, um, it's important to say that every ethnicity needs to learn anti-blackness because every ethnicity struggles with blackness. Um, and, And so that's, like, at the root of my ethnic history course we have to tackle anti-blackness before we can learn about Latino history because um, more Africans went to the continent of Central and South America than any other continent. And no one wants to talk about that. So we need to talk about anti-blackness before you learn about your Latino history because it it is within your Latino history, right? And so I knew that I was going to uh, need this information. And so I uh, went to his library and <laughs> he was like, this is like the Holy grail of books that my professors was like, this is the book that you need to learn. If you want to understand why Africa was such an amazing content, uh continent that people wanted to come to for a, a myriad of reasons. Um, and so that's really what that book is about. It's is talking about um it, it's amazing too because he uh spent his whole like life on getting uh valuable and um and valuable content that was I can't think of the word but um substantiated mm-hmm. um from you know Europe's history from what they had from uh Africa Uh, From oral traditions, from visiting tribes and in in communities in Africa and talking to the elders, um, from looking at artifacts, from uh, looking at museums, like all these, all these areas of information he um, accumulated over decades and put into this one book. And I don't know why the book is not talked about a lot because it's just so amazing It's super high level though, and so you you it takes it took me a while (laughs) to read because it's just a, a ton of information and and information that you've never heard, and so you know you have to think critically when you think about this information because it goes against like everything that you were taught about Africa. When I first thought of about Africa, I think of the infomercial with the little boy who was you know. Had the big stomach and had like flies around his head that hurts my soul that that was the first vision that i had of african people because now that i know the true history i'm like the whole entire world is just robbed of the 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 greatness Mm -hmm. you know that africa had to offer um and and then it goes into like you know um intercultural situations as well like what we did to each other not evaluating each other enough you know um and so yeah there there's a lot of different ways that we need to get this work done um internally you know as people of color and breaking it out up to like black indigenous um people and people of color and um also like as a as a whole nation we just have a lot of work to do um and but i just love that book because it just tackles like everything and it'll just blow your mind when you're done with it
0: (laughs) so one of the things Shalala that you had mentioned of the things that we need to be really intentional about making sure that we are doing for all of our students especially our students of color is to really keep a really high bar Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your program and what you do in that program to keep a high bar because I remember you explicitly telling me that you give some college level material to people that before they even realize it's college level material
1: yeah. So my fifth graders are doing college level content and they don't know until the end of, <laughs> end of the course. And I'm like, yeah. So was that difficult? Uh, not really. It, it was, but it was, you know, and I'm like, yeah, because that was definitely college level work. And they're like, what? It like <laughs> blows their mind. And I'm like, so do you still not think that you could be in advanced coursework? Oh, no, no, I know. Now I know I can. I'm like, oh, perfect. Exactly.
0: <laughs> totally
1: <laughs> and and um so i give them uh, like higher level information like at, at um for example the the book that you just mentioned um i would give like a couple of chapters in there and have the students read it and and then come back with like um questions that they had or, or information that they you know could cross reference um so they're doing like research um, which what what do you need for college you need to learn how to research especially if you're going into like liberal arts degrees you know um, and it's really teaching them those like high level critical thinking skills that um, I think most of America is missing <laughs> critical thinking skills <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I agree. if I want to <laughs> be
1: completely honest <laughs> which is why we're in situations we're in right now mm-hmm. um, they would be able to like just crit if you can think critically about who you are as a person that that's just going to affect you in in all areas of your life you know and so that is very intentional for me to teach ethnic history you have to know who you are you have to know where you come from then you will know where you were going and then you can impact those people on the way you know um that that's kind of like my rationale for it um and so and then also students just get so Overwhelmed and have so much anxiety about like what to expect in college like just bring college to them And then they'll be like, oh Well, I could do this, you know Um, And then the reason why you know, I I talk about like college so much instead of like trade I I do value that that area right trades is super important Um, but um, I have found and I might get a little pushback from this but Trades are highly recommended in like communities of color, but you're not trying to push that in the white like areas. You just like it's just not. They are, but not as heavily. And so it's like, oh, well, you don't have to go to college. You can just do a trade for 16 months. Like, yeah, they can do a trade for 16 months and they're gonna kill the game in that trade. But um let's look at sustainability and let's look at longevity because for example, my husband um, went to trade school to be a mechanic. Now he's 35 and his body is aching and he can barely do anything because he's used his body for, you know, um, what, 17 years now. And um, he's his body is spent. He can't use it anymore. So it's like, okay, yes, you will make a, a ton of money in that field But how long will your body be able to cope with that? And then how long... um, And are you saving that money to help you for retirement? Like, those type of things. And so that's why I gravitate more towards college because you will get those, like, higher-level, you know, positions or you can create your own business, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and create your own, like, uh, generational wealth. Um, And and I'm not saying you can't do that with trades, but um, you could do it definitely... Uh, more with a college degree um, and having that stability,
0: and the critical thinking,
1: and the critical thinking, kind of important.
0: <laughs> Shalila, I ask this question to everybody um, okay. because I'm really interested to hear how people do fail forward and how they take the risks, even though they might be risking, um, you know, a failure. What's been your best failure?
1: This my program. I quit a nice cushy salary le- level job of being a teacher, right? And created my own program. And luckily my husband is so amazing and supportive and he's like, I you're probably not gonna make a lot of money in the first couple of years. Don't worry, I got you, and we're gonna get through this together. And so he's been helping support our family financially and um just been it's just it's been really interesting starting my own business even though it's a non-profit still definitely a business and no, not knowing anything about the business mm-hmm. <laughs> world or you know just coming just from teaching and just knowing how to impact students lives like that was like my area um so I, I definitely reached out to different resources to gain those skills so I was like very smart when I <laughs> when it came to that like I know that I don't know very much about business. So I'm going to join these leadership groups and I'm going to join this educational collective and I'm going to join this like business accelerator and all these different types of programs so that I can um, know how to be sustainable in my program and know how to, um, yeah, just leverage that information. So I was, even though it was, like, fa- failing forward, I guess you can say, uh, I I didn't have, like, a backup plan, so that, that was, like, the part where if I can go back, I would have um, had, like, some type of, I don't know, backup plan because I've had some really, like, interesting, like, part-time jobs just to, like, help, you know, with, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everyday expenses and things like that, and so... I would have saved like a lot more money from my nice cushy teaching job
0: if you have the backup plan does that put your actual program admission at risk do you feel of like oh i can i don't have to put as much into the
1: yeah and that's why i didn't do it intentionally you know because i was like i don't want to i'm the type of person and you know i just went over like how i was homeless so like naturally i have like a plan a through f immediately in any venture that i seek out to have and so this was the very first time in my life where it was just a plan a and i just went all in and so i'm really proud of myself because um it could have went it no it would not have went really bad because it just wouldn't have (laughs) (laughs) but um Yeah, that that was the very first time in my life where I didn't have several different, you
0: know, escape routes
1: (laughs) in case something didn't work. So,
0: Do you have any final advice for any humble badass educators or aspiring humble badass educators out there?
1: Yes, and this kind of goes into... um, you know, if there is space for you to be a badass educator in the and as a teacher or as an administrator or you know, um, in all of those different roles, do it and and be your authentic self. But if there's not, don't be afraid to fail for it like I did and go out there and create um, a program that impacts A lot of students you know so um don't be afraid to take those risks just because you could potentially be like put on the 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 naughty person list or I don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or you know you're afraid of like having a voice because you are one of the only people of color in your school and you know, you, you don't want to be that one angry black woman hurt, you know, um, because it's not just about you. It's about community. It's about all of us. Um, especially our, our kids, they need us. And so, um, I was at one school temporarily and, um, after I left, they were like, where'd she go? Like, we want to see her. Is she coming back? Like, you know, and, and it, it, and these students, I didn't even know, like they actually weren't even in my program and they were still like seeking me out and looking for me. And that was because I was super intentional about how I affected them, uh, the, the school, like what, what impact I left on the school, not just the students that I served. And if you're an educator in the, in the classroom, that needs to be your intention how am i impacting my entire school not just the students in my class and we all know those teachers right where they have like several kids to come up to them that used to have them as teachers or heard down the street that they would they were the the amazing teacher and you know uh, spark up a a relationship with them be that teacher because that is the most important thing in my opinion
0: Shalila, thank you so much for your time. I feel so fortunate to have just gotten to know you recently and I look forward to getting to know you hopefully so much more as time goes on. Um, I've already learned so much from you and I feel like I'm just scratching that surface.
1: Yay, well thank you, I appreciate you. Um, And now I am gonna refer to myself as a badass educator, yep.
0: Need to, because you are.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to humble badass educators. Again, the biggest goal of this podcast is to share the transformative ideas of what can work in the world of education. So if you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to share a link this episode with someone you think may also be interested in hearing these ideas. If you or someone you know is also a humble badass educator, I'd love to hear from you as I continue my quest in learning about the amazing things that are happening out there right now. Know that the term educator is not just school-based. An educator is anyone that helps another person learn. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Humble Badass Educators. Thanks for listening.